Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. You know, of all the sins that, that the human heart is prone to, the sin of idolatry is certainly the worst in a sense. It's the most hateful, uh, most dangerous in some respects. Uh, in idolatry, we imagine that God is, has certain characteristics or certain attributes, and then we act as if that were true about him. You read in a verse of Scripture where God says, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, and I kept silent. They attributed certain characteristics to God of their own devising, which were not true, but he let them go on acting as if that were so until his wrath fell on them. It's hateful because it's a libel on God's character to be guilty of idolatry. It's dangerous because it's only as we understand what God is really like that we will know what we need to do in order to be right with him. You know, the gospel, the glorious gospel, is no gospel to many people. Why? Because they don't understand the character of God. They have a God of their imagination that they have created, who doesn't exist. The only God who exists is not like they have imagined him to be. They may create a God who's all love, only love, no justice, no holiness. There's no such God in the universe, is that? That's idolatry. They may have a God who would never send anyone to hell. Uh, there's no such God around. Uh, they have, may have a God who automatically saves all men. That's a very popular view today. But there's no such God who exists. What is God like? Well, in this 139th Psalm, David reflects on the character of God, the attributes of God, particularly as they relate to him and his relation to God. First, uh, he describes God's knowledge of him, and in the description we pick up God's omniscience, God's omniscience, his all-knowingness. In uh, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Notice this minute, thorough investigation of David by God. Uh, he knows God, and, and uh, God knows David, and, and David elaborates on that. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. You know all about my actions, my outward life. But you also know my inward life, my thoughts. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows uh, David's ways. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways, intimately acquainted with all of David's ways. He illustrates it. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Before I speak a word, you know what I'm going to speak, as that word is formed on my tongue. And reflection on this leads to worship and adoration of such a being with such knowledge. In verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, says David. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. He's just overwhelmed at God's knowledge. Such a being, omniscience. 
And then he speaks of the pervasion of God's presence with him. And here we have God's omnipresence, that he's everywhere. In uh, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Why would a man want to flee from God's presence? Well, we remember uh, Adam and Eve wanted to flee from God's presence. They had violated his command. Uh, to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they had done that and their eyes were open, uh, they now knew evil experientially. They had experienced it. And they wanted to flee. They hear God's voice. And they run and hide themselves. And God says, Adam, where art thou? And then he says, Adam, uh, or Adam says, I, I ran and hid because I was naked. God said, who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the fruit of the tree? And of course, God knows, but he wants Adam to confess. And Adam says, the woman that you gave me, she is to blame. She tempted me. He wanted to get away from God. Flee. How would you flee from God, says David? If you wanted to flee, how would you escape God? And he He reflects on some possibilities. Maybe you could go up or down. In uh, verse 7, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Uh, And he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, or sheol is the Hebrew word, the realm of the dead, behold, thou art there. If I went as high as I could, or as low as I could, still I couldn't get away from you. How about horizontally? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I'm as fast as the wings of the morning when the, when the light comes up, and go as horizontally as far as possible, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Well, maybe, maybe you could get away by digging into some dark cave where God couldn't find you. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. No way to flee from your presence, says David. And you know, it's David really doesn't want to flee from God's presence. Notice how he describes God's presence. If I take the wings of the morning and I Flee to the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand will seize me. No, even there thy hand will lead me and uphold me. Augustine said, the only way to flee from God is to flee to God. Harry Ironside, the great minister early in this century, pastored the the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, tells about how he and his son used to play a game called Big Bear. And Harry was the Big Bear, and he'd chase his son who'd try to get away. And one day they were playing the game, and the Big Bear was after the boy, and the boy ran into his bedroom, and the Big Bear was right there breathing on top of him, finally cornered him. And, and it got real to the boy, and he was trying to get away, and, and he climbed the walls, and all of a sudden he stopped, and he looked at him, and he said, You're not a Big Bear, you're my daddy. And he jumped into his arms. Exactly. God's not a big bear. He wants to be our Heavenly Father. And the way to do is to jump into His arms. That's the way to escape 
his wrath. A lady was driving down the freeway and she noticed a truck behind her, real close. She sped up, this truck sped up, right on her tail. She began to panic, uh, wondered who this was following her like this. She decided to turn off. She turned off at her first opportunity, the truck right behind her. She tried to turn down a side street, truck right behind her. Finally, in desperation, she turned into a filling station and jumped out screaming for help. Truck driver right behind her jumped out of the car, ran up to her car, jerked the back door open and pulled a man out of the back seat who'd been hiding there, would-be rapist, that he had seen from his vantage point being higher than she was and behind her, and she hadn't realized was there. That's how God is. He chases us. He's that hound of heaven that Francis Thompson spoke of who pursued him down the nights and down the days. But he's love. Uh, Francis Thompson says, the hound of heaven, when he caught him, said, uh, Thou dravest love from thee, uh, who drove me from you. Well, we see the omniscience of God, the description of God's knowledge of him, the pervasion of God's presence, the omnipresence, and then the reflection on God's planning for him. God's omnipotence, God's power, universal power. In verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins. One reason God knows so much about David is he has possessed his reins. He has owned his inward parts by creation, possessed in that sense. He designed David's inner man, his personality, so he knows all about it. Uh, In uh, verse 13, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, the fashioning of David in the womb. No, that has implications for abortion, doesn't it? God fashioned David in the womb. In the womb, it was David. It wasn't just protoplasm. Had David's mother had an abortion, she would have been aborting someone that God was fashioning. His personality. In uh, the 14th verse, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. David thinks about his body that God designed and created. It's marvelous. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's a marvel of engineering. I hope you've read the book by Dr. Paul Brand. If you haven't, let me urge you to do so. Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. A Christian hand surgeon, probably the leading hand surgeon in the world, takes the human body and analyzes it as only a physician could and reflects on the marvel of God's design in the human body. It's a worship experience to read that book. You know, it's amazing that anyone could look at the human body and not realize the design. David goes on to say, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. The Hebrew for curiously wrought is embroidered. God embroidered David in his mother's womb as he wove together the muscles and the sinews and the nerves. John Paul Sartre was a famous atheist, a French existentialist philosopher, 
of our day, died in 1981. And he tells about early in life, uh, he became conscious on one occasion of the presence of God, but he reacted violently. Only once did I have the feeling that he existed. I had been playing with matches and burned a small rug. I was in the process of covering up my crime when suddenly God saw me. I felt his gaze inside my head and on my hands. I flew into a rage against so crude an indiscretion. I blasphemed. He never looked at me again. He got rid of the idea of God, rejected it. Until late in life. And late in life, the old philosopher came in contact with an ex-Mayoist who had now become a believer in God by the name of Victor Pierre. Excuse me, Pierre Victor. Who had a profound effect on his bitter atheism. And uh, a dialogue between the two was recorded in the uh, Nouvelle Observateur, the New Observer, Sarda abandoned his existentialist atheism, saying, I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who is expected, prepared, prefigured, in short, a being whom only a creator could put here, and this idea of a creating hand refers to God. Exactly. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only did God design David in his mother's womb and fashion his personality and his body parts, but he planned the days of David's life, the whole course of David's life, before David was born. David reflects on that in verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That's a difficult verse to translate in the Hebrew. And uh, E.J. Young, a great Hebrew scholar, head of the Department of Old Testament at Westminster Seminary, probably the leading academic seminary in the world, evangelical seminary, uh, he tells us what David is saying here. Here's the way he phrases it. If we understand his language aright, he is saying all his life, the details of each day had been written down in the book of God before any of these days had actually occurred. You hit that many times in Scripture where you have God pointing out that he plans men's lives ahead of time. For instance, Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, as he calls him to be a prophet, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I ordained that you would be a prophet to the nations. The heathen monarch Cyrus, the king of Persia, when the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon and the Israelites who'd been in captivity for 70 years were permitted by Cyrus to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild their capital and their country. Cyrus issued the decree. 150 years before Cyrus issued that decree, God, through Isaiah, named Cyrus by name 
and told that he would call Cyrus to do this work. He says, I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. And then he proceeds to predict that Cyrus will release his people. God planning David's life, your life, my life. God designing us fearfully and wonderfully made. As David reflects on that, again, he is overwhelmed with it. And it leads him to uh, adoration and worship of such a one and of God's thoughts toward him as indicated by these things. God's thinking on David and planning for David and preparing for David. In verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. He's overwhelmed as he thinks about God thinking of him. Suppose you got a letter uh, tomorrow from the president of your company. He says, Bill, Mary, Dave, I want you to know that this morning when I got up and uh, around the house as I was just reflecting on the day that I thought about you. You were much in my thoughts today. That would really excite you. What if you got a letter from God? Bill, Mary, Dave, I want you to know that I'm thinking about you. That's exactly the case, you see. And David is overwhelmed as he reflects on that fact. You know, uh, you may not feel important in your own sight, but you are in God's. He planned your personality. He designed your body. And you say, my body's handicapped. He designed that too. And he has a purpose. You remember what he told Moses? Moses said, Lord, I'm not eloquent. You need to send Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let, his, let your people go. And God said, Moses, who made man's mouth? Or who made the deaf, or the dumb, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? The Lord designed Moses for what he called Moses to do. God has designed you, and he has a purpose for you. You may not be important in your own eyes, but you were planned, and you're important in his. He's thinking of you. He knows your needs. Jesus said, Your heavenly Father knows what things you have need of. Of course, He knew that above all, you needed what? You needed a Savior. You needed someone who could come and make atonement for your, like Adam, having violated God's command. Your being naked in His presence. God thought about you, and He turned His Son. And He said, uh, Would you go and would you take the place and undergo the punishment due to Bill and Mary or Dave. And the son said, Lo, it is written in the volume of the book, I come to do thy will, O God. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. A body thou hast prepared me. Yes, I will assume a body, and I will be the sacrifice that those other sacrifices will simply typify. And I will make atonement. God thought of you. It's pictured in our sacrament of the Lord's Supper right before us. God's thoughts of you. Is that overwhelming? You know, David didn't know about that. He knew about God thinking of him, but he didn't know how much God thought. He didn't know about the Son of God who came and died. Oh, he was a prophet, and he predicted 
the death of Christ and the resurrection, but he didn't fully understand, as you and I do, about the atonement. If David was overwhelmed with God's thoughts, how much more should we be? What are the implications of God being like that? That's what God's like, see? God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is omnipresent. You cannot get away from His presence. What are the implications of that? What are the implications for those who resist Him and oppose Him, as most men do, as most men in our society do? What are the implications? David draws them out. Verse 19, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. If God's like that, a wicked man, a man who resists God's will, that's a wicked man. A man who's not a Christian, that's a wicked man, biblically speaking. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. It's wicked not to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. The conviction of judgment. Actually, it's a prayer. Oh, that thou wouldest slay the wicked. David prays to that. He's he's concerned that God's purposes must succeed and that those who resist him must not succeed. We pray the same thing when we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're saying every other kingdom go and the kingdom of man go as the kingdom of God advances. Thy kingdom come. Every opposition to you, may it be put down. We want men to repent and not perish, not be slain. God desires that too, but he will slay the wicked. David's separation from such. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. David says, I don't want any part of you. If you stand against God, then separate from me. I'm standing on his side. You stand over there. I choose sides. The affirmation of hate. Verse 21. Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not greed with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. My whole soul is involved in hating them, says David. I count them mine enemies. If they're your enemies, they're my enemies. That's loyalty to the king. Now, this isn't personal. This is standing with God against his enemies. And David hates as God hates. Now, God also loves. And he desires the salvation of men. And we say, hate the sin and not the sinner. And that's true. But the two are kind of weighted together, aren't they? How do you separate the sin from the sinner if the sinner keeps going on in his sin? And unless the two are separated by the sinner turning from his sin, someday God's wrath that falls on the sin will fall on the sinner. You can't separate the two ultimately. Well, David requests that God examine him in verse 23. Search me, O God. God, I know that those who oppose you that you will judge them. So, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, if there's any opposition to you in me, I want to know about it. I want you to show it to me. I want it brought so I can deal with it. Lead me in the way everlasting, that way of life, that way to heaven. That's the way I want to go. So search me. 
try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Applying all this to our lives. Like David, we should adore and worship God for his attributes, what he's like, his omniscience, knowing us so thoroughly, his omnipresence, being with us everywhere, his power as he planned our days, as he fashioned us, and he brings about that plan, his thoughts toward us, expressed ultimately in his thought of our need of a Savior and the gift of that. Oh, how we ought to worship and adore God for his thoughts toward us, pictured here in this supper. You know, this supper says to you and me, I'm thinking of you. I thought of you long, long ago. I planned for you and I've provided for you because I love you. I love you so much I gave my son. And we should respond, Lord, I love you. Thank you for thinking of me. Your thoughts of me are so precious, O Lord. It ought to lead to worship and adoration. It ought to lead to comfort as we realize our significance, that He thought of us and He planned for us, and He's with us, and we're safe in Him. Before me is a future all unknown, a path untrod. Beside me is a friend loved and known, and that friend is God. And like David, we should choose sides. You have to choose sides. There is opposition to God all around us. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. And like David, we should ask God to search us. One of the things we do when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're to examine ourselves. Let a man examine himself, says Paul, and so let him eat. Search my heart for any wickedness and repent of it, turn from it. Search my heart. Have I truly responded to Jesus Christ? Is He my Savior? Have I trusted Him to forgive me as a gift based on His death? And uh, as I partake, rededicate myself to serving Him out of adoration and worship. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed... Have you been guilty of idolatry, created a God who doesn't exist, uh, labeled the character of God? Why not correct that false idol and acknowledge the true God and all of his wisdom and power, justice and mercy? Have you perhaps been angry at God for the way he designed you? He certainly manifests His love in the gift of His Son. And He has a plan for you. He made you to use you. Have you been fleeing from God like He was a big bear? Turn to Him and leap into His arms. If you've never initially trusted Jesus Christ and surrendered to Him as your Master, do that right now. Pray in your heart. Lord Jesus, too long I've fled you when you designed good for me. And Lord, I cease doing that and I turn to you and I open my arms and I leap into your arms. And I embrace you. Thank you for your thoughts of love and your patience toward me. I surrender to you as my master.
Amen. As we